Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. I am your host, Mitch Foster, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ando Anderson. How are you, you Ando? Yeah, I'm really good, mate. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm not bad. Definitely not bad. Great game of, well, great weekend of rugby this weekend, so we've got lots to chat about. Before we dive into that, just who we are, what we do. So we are two diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. Real, family-friendly, and positive. Get involved. Get involved. So this week was... We were lucky enough this week to actually go to a game together. for the Yeah, it was pretty awesome. First or second time. Yeah, so, I think we went to the trial game previously at the start of the season. So yeah, second game out together. It was good fun. Probably not the... Um, the, the way we wanted the game to go for us Tars fans, but um, <laughs> nevertheless, great to be out there and seeing some real live footy again. But definitely, um, definitely lots to chat about this week. So let's um, let's just get into it, really. So we've got some social media platforms. Good. We've got Instagram and Facebook as the two main ones. So on Instagram, hit us up on pick underscore hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. And then also on Facebook, we are pick and drive rugby podcast. And thanks to the people that got involved with the kind of tipping that we were doing on Thursday, Friday last week. And we'll obviously give them a shout out later on in the pod, but keep your ears or eyes out for that later this week as well. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, definitely. Thank you for getting involved. We love hearing from all of you and seeing what your thoughts are around the week. And um, I think it was good to see that this week, our tips were quite similar to the tips from the fans as well. So we're on the right track, which is always good to hear. <laughs> or maybe we're all wrong together. <laughs> or we're all wrong together. But um, yeah, so tonight we're going to have a quick uh, look at some interesting news points that have come out in the last sort of week or two. Then we're going to dive into round three of the Super Rugby Australia comp and then round six of the Super Rugby Aotearoa competition. So without further sort of ado, let's, let's crack into the news. Let's roll. Cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're now heading to our spicy, spicy news. And we haven't actually had this segment for a while because we've been so focused on chatting about rugby for the last couple of weeks. It's been pretty exciting. Uh, That also has meant there's been a lot less drama going around. But thank you to our good friends in New Zealand. There is a lot more to (laughs) to whinge and complain about. So why don't we start off with this conversation about the potential plans for the Bledisloe Cup later in the year. Mitch, what's the news that's coming out from New Zealand? Yeah, so the news that's coming out of New Zealand is that they have proposed a five-series or a five-match Bledisloe Cup series this year, which is crazy. It's like such a okay. prospect. Yeah, um, I'm pretty concerned hearing that. Yep. <laughs> the kind of nitty-gritty details of this is that Sansa is hoping that they can host the rugby championship in New Zealand this year. So all mm-hmm. of the teams will fly across. So South Africa, New Zealand, Argentina. Oh, sorry. Well, New Zealand will be there. South Africa, Australia, Argentina, and um, New Zealand will be there. So they'll fly over. <clears throat> they'll have their two-week um, mandatory isolation Quarantine. period. Yeah quarantine and then they will play uh sort of like a round robin system game of the rugby championship in new zealand i guess they haven't revealed where they'd be played and that kind of thing but at the moment they've taken that to the new zealand government and they're waiting on approval for that to sort of go ahead now what they're saying is if the government comes back and sort of doesn't allow that to happen um for whatever reason they're, the next plan or the backup plan is that we will play a five-test Bledisloe Cup series between Australia and New Zealand with New Zealand set to host three and Australia set to host two. Okay. What do you think? Well, what, actually, why don't we start this off? Because um, there's really two things that have been put into play here. Firstly, you have the potential for the 
rugby championship to be home New Zealand. Yep. And the second part is the Bledisloe suggestion. So what do you think about the rugby championship being based in New Zealand for a round robin? Well, I guess for the ongoing weekly competition. Look, I'm not against that idea. I think that would, if, if it all gets approved and everything, I think it would work. It would be exciting to see, you know, South Africa back in the mix. Um, mm. I would be really interested to see what the level of rugby would be, considering that Australia and New Zealand have domestic comps playing and South Africa doesn't. So that also, I would think, not have the players that won the World Cup last year because a lot of them were based in Europe at the time. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes. But it would be, I would prefer to have a sort of a a rugby championship competition as opposed to just a five-series Bledisloe Cup where Australia is going to lose everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> hey, I, I genuinely think we could pull one. I reckon it'd be four one. Um, yeah, we but... ideally, like realistically, we get one or two of those. Yeah, we wouldn't win yeah. any more. We may win the home tests, but apart from that, it's way too much to ask. Staying on a rugby championship, I think there are some really big flaws, or not inherently flaws, but problems that need to be overcome. Uh, you pointed out the lack of competitive games that South Africa will have had. Well that would be even more significant for the Argentina squad. Oh, yeah. Um, and there, so there's that. That's a player safety concern as well, in that they won't have had as much time to get their bodies used to the rigours of international rugby, unlike the New Zealand particularly, and then the Australian teams who started a few weeks later. Um, the other problem that I'm seeing is you're going to have players who... Because realistically, they have to have, what, two weeks for the isolation. And then if you're trying to play everybody, it'd be minimum of like a four or five week competition. Um, oh, yeah. You play games. everyone yeah, twice, yeah, wouldn't minimum. you? Yeah. You normally play so. them home and away. So it'd be a 10 week So six. Yeah. And so with all of that in play, um, I just think it's incredibly unfair to expect players to leave their families for that long. Um, think, think if you're, say, Matt Tamua. Um, somebody who's almost definitely going to be in a Wallaby squad. Um, he is a part of a Rebels team that have basically been um, isolated out of their own, their home state and their mm. homes. Um, a lot of the players don't have their families with them, although some were able to scramble and get their families to come up before the borders closed with Victoria. And I know that the um, Rugby Championship will be a fair way in the future, like later in the year. But yeah, you're looking at October, November. The point is, yeah, you're, you're essentially looking right now at players that, um, won't get to see their families or have regular close contact with their families for maybe six weeks, eight yep. weeks. And then we expect them to then go and do the exact same thing again in New Zealand for six to eight weeks. And sure, maybe they can take their families. But I don't know. I just wonder if it's actually too much to ask of players. I mean, um, look, I, I do get that side of things. But at the same time, um, they're sitting at home. Like if we're looking at Argentina and South Africa, they're sitting at home um, now unemployed. Like they're not yeah. they're not playing rugby. They're not getting paid to play rugby. I don't I don't know what the financial situation is over there. There hasn't yep. been too much about you know pay agreements and things in the media. So I don't know if they've all been stood down indefinitely. If they're getting like sixty percent of their wages, whatever it is. But I would say that at the at the current time, they're professional rugby players who are sitting at home, not playing rugby, not getting paid. So if you gave them the mm. opportunity to come and play for their country in a competition. I feel like the majority of them would take that up just because they'd, yeah. be, getting, they'd be getting paid for it. And you know what? I'm not disagreeing with that. Um, I, I hear that and yeah. that makes a lot of sense. My 
my thought or my concerns were more for the Victorian or the Rebels base players or even any Force players that get in as well um, because the Force have had to relocate to the Hunter Valley. So yeah. um, they're going to face a similar situation. And I don't know. I, um, I, I'm just a little bit concerned for yeah. the players about that because they're also on reduced pay and some of them significantly. So I don't know, you're pushing a friendship too far, asking them to basically go into another six to eight week competition period away from their families on reduced pay when they've already just gone through that. I don't know. But, I don't know. Well, it's just um, yeah, look, like, I think that's something that we probably need to look at a little bit further down the track at the moment. We're just proposing yeah. this as a, an if or a, there's two options at the moment. So out of the two, which would you prefer? Probably. Rugby championships. If you take the player thing aside and you just look... Yeah, at rugby championship. Because yeah. then we have a chance to win some games pretty consistently. Exactly. Um, I think we'd have a good chance to win each game against Argentina because they'll be underdone. And that will just allow some of the younger players that I hope to come through in the next Wolby squad to get a little bit of experience, yeah. which is not just getting pumped by New Zealand. Um, yeah, look, the other thing, the other side of it too, is that if we do play the five test series, at least there'll be two played on Australian soil. Yeah, true. That's the other That's thing. So... Yeah. I don't know. We'll um, see what happens. That's kind of what we're talking about now. Yeah. Now with that, we, I mean, we don't want to spend too much time in the news. I'll quickly mention these two shoot shield points before we jump back to some of the news okay. that's come out of New Zealand. Um, so two quick points from the shoot shield, which started up this weekend, which is fantastic. Get along to the local game where you can. Um, or, uh, uh, yeah. I wouldn't be pushing that at the moment. <laughs> has there if, been a little bit of news? Yeah, out you can't, about you can't necessarily... They haven't guaranteed um, allowing public into the games just yet. They've got members. So who's been getting in? Members. Is it just members? Members, yeah. So you can actually buy a membership to Shoot Shield Clubs. And at oh, the wonderful. they're only opening it up to members, I, I believe. So Okay, anyway, cool. So it's a bit different going? to the super teams. Yeah. Now, um, Tatafu Portanao is actually playing Shoot Shield for the two boys, which is pretty exciting. Ex-Waratah, been over at Leicester um, and has come back. So if that's pretty cool. And that is, if you like, are wanting... such an unpublicized bit of information there like i didn't even know about it i'm a massive tatafu fan so the only reason i knew such was a cult figure. it popped up on instagram today on the shoot shield page that the two blues just said like great to have this legend back playing for us or something and i was like what <laughs> i would have been over How at Parramatta watching this game if i knew he was there that's crazy why is How he good. not playing for the War- wallabies the uh, waratahs sorry uh, probably because he's quite old um, and they're doing a bit of a renewal, generational renewal. Yeah. Um, he'd yeah. be what, 34, 35 by now? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how old he is, but I, I still think he'd be, he'd be running around and having a crack. Oh, yeah, he'd be doing some chop tackles, definitely. He'd be throwing the ball straight at least. Anyway. And his, it's his birthday uh, in one week's time. So oh, next yes. Sunday, happy birthday, Tafi. Yes. Um, <laughs> we'll have to sing him happy birthday next week. Cheeky birthday um, meat pie coming up. Now, the other quick thing is if you do want to catch some of the Shoot Shield games and you are not a member, then Clutch TV is actually showing all the Shoot Shield games that are just delayed. So you can check them out on Facebook, Clutch TV, but you can also watch a bunch of games on 7.2 as well on normal TV. Um, so that's pretty exciting that we've got kind of grade level um local rugby back in town and that's it now anything you want to say on a shoot shield quickly before we go back to new zealand yeah, i just wanted to say that gordon got up this week which is awesome my old club so it's great to see them beating east for the to start the season off so i'm really hoping <laughs> that they do quite well this year send darren Ooh. coleman off on a on a high note well mate so let's jump now into the new zealand uh you know what there's a lot of things that we need to be saying about our relationship with New Zealand. <laughs> and I just, 
I just really want to thank New Zealand for just being so good to us that they are such kind and caring, big, really big brothers in a sense where they just consistently looking out for us, making sure that we're traveling okay as a competition, a sport, and that they would, as they're discussing the future of what New Zealand rugby could be, just so generously offer us in that. Australian teams to express to provide expressions of interest for two maybe three super rugby teams to join me and i just want to say to all new zealand people that listen to this pod because there are so many that we really really value the consideration you've applied and do not in any way think that this is one of the biggest shows of arrogance and uh, I would use so many other words to describe this if we weren't a PC <laughs> podcast. Um, but just right. the inherent arrogance and standing on top of a pedestal and then just going, oh, you little peons in Australia here, you can have the little crumbs, the morsels that fall from our table and we'll choose whether or not we're going to accept you into our competition. Like, who do they think they are? <laughs> who the hell do they think they are? Anyway, Sorry, Maybe but, um, world champions. I don't know. Uh, and you know Actually, what? they're not. That, they're even not at the moment. <laughs> um, and you know what? There's, there's, a, there's a bit of a context within this. So if, if you guys haven't heard, um, New Zealand, are, as a result of the Aratapa review, Aratipu yep. review, Aratipu. Um, they've been reconsidering a whole bunch of the ways in which gonna, their domestic competition is going to be structured, whether they'll be involved with super rugby, et cetera, et cetera. And um, basically, they're wanting to set up a um, competition that has the five super rugby New Zealand teams, a Pacifica team, and uh, it depends. They may be doing an eight-team competition. So if it's five plus one, that means there's only room for two. And if there's a 10-team competition, then there's room for maybe one or two more Australian teams, depending upon who else gets involved. So maybe two, maybe three Australian teams. Um, contextually, New Zealand have been the, uh, the, the, what is it, the yardstick of success in, inter- in international and domestic rugby, really, for the last two decades. Um, they've dominated um, not inherently World Cups, although they've done very well at World Cups. They've also choked at a few. Um, but consistently, their teams have been the top one or two in the world for the last two decades. So they do have some right to the belief that their teams are better than others and that any team that joins a competition has to be competitive. So I will say that to anybody that's listening, that is, you do deserve some of the arrogance you have. That doesn't mean it's not annoying, but it's still there. Um, Mitch, what were your thoughts on this whole thing as it came out? Yeah, look, I, I don't think that two Super Rugby sides for Australia is going to be enough. I don't no. think we necessarily need to be playing in the New Zealand competition either. Like, we're not going to be competitive. We're not going to win it. Um, so why not just cut it, pull the Band-Aid off and do our own thing? I, I, mm. I'm a pretty rusted on rugby fan and I will tune in and watch the Waratahs play a New Zealand game reluctantly. But if it's happening week in, week out, I don't see myself wanting to tune in at five o'clock on a Saturday or Friday afternoon to watch the Waratahs play the Highlanders. Let me ask you a quick question about that. Since the Super Rugby AU competition has started up, have you been watching as much of the Aotearoa competition? No, I haven't. Yeah, and that's exactly my thought. Like, I, I love my rugby. I only have time to watch two, maybe three full games across yeah. the course of a weekend. Otherwise, my wife and children, uh, I get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so I just don't have time to be watching everything. And so yeah. my, like, 
listeners will have noticed that the depth of commentary that we're able to provide on the New Zealand games has dropped since the Australian competition has started. Yeah. Uh, because we're simply not watching them in as much. Well, I mean, we're an Australian rugby pod anyway. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and so I just think that it's really interesting to consider whether or not, well, what shape things will be taking. Uh, and this discussion will be really playing out over the next month or so. Yeah, I, I think that... Um... I just, I don't think it's the right choice for Australian rugby to even been considering joining this competition. Like so. dropping down from our five teams to two is not going to work. It's not going to boost the, wa- the Wallabies at all. Um, and it's, it's not going to be engaging for fans. It's probably going to disengage fans more than anything. And it will yeah. probably speed up the death of the game in the country. It's not going to make it a more accessible product at all. So I, just from that background alone, I just say, don't do it. Benny Darwin, who is a director of Gameline Analytics, often talks about this factor called cohesion within the success of any team within any sport. Um, ben Darwin being the ex-Wallabies player. And he points to early in the Super Rugby period, so kind of like a decade ago when there were only three teams. We didn't have the Rebels or the Force. And Australian rugby was having a lot of success on a Super Rugby and international stage because we had a reduced professional playing pool, so you had a lot more players forming combinations and being able to play the combinations at a club level and then step up and still keep those combinations for the international level. I think the problem that we're going to have if we still go two or three teams into any New Zealand comp is that it reduces our footprint again in an already saturated market. It reduces the, it actually, sorry, increases the negative press and commentary because you're then going to what disillusion the force fans and cut them again. You're going to cut the Western force a second time and cut the rebels. And so you're losing. Who's saying that? It's just, you're just guaranteeing that it's going to be the other three that get make the cut. Yeah. And you know what? Yes. Yeah, I really do. You're not going to not have Queensland and New South Wales. They are the two biggest. It's up to New Zealand rugby. Who's going to decide as well. They're the two biggest and commercially um, successful um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, unions. Yeah. So it's going to be Queensland and New Zealand. Um, sorry, Queensland and New South Wales. And the third, if it comes, surely is this the most successful franchise, which would be the Brumbies. Yeah. Um, I, I don't see it being any other way, even yeah. whilst I get the joke you're making about New Zealand getting to make their choice. Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. Surely if you were I, New Zealand, though, you'd put in the Force and the, and the Rebels and then just <laughs> smash them every week. and then Just to full troll everybody. And yeah. then in two years, be like, look, we invited you to the comp. You were hopeless. Get out. We've restructured your goal. Go, go on, get. You haven't, you've, um, you've come last and second last every year. <laughs> oh, mate. Um, okay, we've probably talked about this enough, but I really just want to quickly throw it to you and go if you can give me your 30 second elevator pitch for what you would like um, Super Rugby to be, yep. what would it be? 30 seconds, like no more yep. than that. No, I'll go. Okay. My, my plan is we get rid of Super Rugby as it currently sits. It becomes, super, we keep it. Change keep the name if you want Super Rugby AU, but it essentially becomes um, the NRC. So you don't have the NRC being the gap between Super Rugby and Club Rugby. It is that level. So the Waratahs or Sydney, Sydney City and New South Wales Country still exist. Maybe yep. New South Wales City, New South Wales Country, uh, New South Waratahs. Um, same with Brisbane. You basically just have all the team names. You just change them to the NRC team. And then you play the expanded Super Rugby AU competition as the NRC. Okay, cool. All right. Good pitch. Now, Cookie, give you mine. And I'm just getting my timer out so I can make sure I don't go over 30. Um, so three, two, 
one. My pitch is you basically keep it as Super Rugby Aotearoa and um, New Zealand and Super Rugby AU, but we bring in one more team for each. So maybe it's a team from Japan, so you have something like the Sunwolves, and maybe for New Zealand, make a team. Yep. And so you have three games on every weekend. You have a similarly short home and away season against each team with no buys or maybe one. Uh, rest week in the middle before you then have a playoff against the New Zealand between the Australian Australian and New Zealand teams top two from each um, cool yeah I'd watch that and that's my pitch anyway that's so that's just a thought and let's now move on to the actual games let's do it thank you for listening to our new segment probably dragged on a little bit there but that's fine it was we're good now- stuff it was good stuff <laughs> we're now into the rugby chat So I thought this episode this week, being number 20, being a nice rounded number, we've had a few rounds each of the New Zealand comp and the Australian comp. I thought it'd be a good time to reflect on just what we've seen the last few weeks and sort of our expectations going into the comp and where we currently sit now and and just some general sort of trends that are coming out. So Andrew, did you have anything that you wanted to start off with that you sort of had? Starting with the AU comp or the New Zealand comp? Yeah, either. Um, I think with the New Zealand comp is where I think there's a couple of things. Number one, the Crusaders remain the best team in New Zealand, and that's not really deniable. Um, they have been and continue to be the best structured organisation, and their success in the Aotearoa comp is proving that. I think the Blues had a lot of early success, but they've now had two losses in a row, which I don't really think says that they're a bad team or that any of the success early was undeserved, but just they're in a really hard competition. Yep. And sometimes the luck is going to go against them. And you saw in a game um, over the weekend that they, they played well, but they just fell behind right at the end. So um, the New Zealand comp remains hard. I don't think anybody would have seen the Chiefs being scoreless um, or winless at this point of the competition if you were to kind of go back in time. And with the Australian comp, I don't think the law variations have had as much of an impact as people thought they might um, at the start of the comp as well. They had a big impact on the New Zealand comp at the start, but that seems to have tapered off as players and refs have kind of adjusted. But with the Australian competition, no, I don't think the interpretations were as strict at the ruck as they were in New Zealand. So... Yeah, it's been pretty good. I've actually really enjoyed the 5022s or 2250s. They've added a different dimension to the game and they're not getting used too often that it's like a cheap out. Um, But it's for for good tactical kickers that can get their head up at the right time. It is providing an opportunity and that's, that's good for me. I don't mind it. Yeah, cool. All right, well, I'll um, I'll start my review. So uh, basically I just wanted to say that this competition has been so tight for both, like both of these competitions have proven to be really competitive so mm. i guess if you look at the chiefs they probably haven't performed as well as people were hoping or expecting them to but they haven't lost games by much so yep. they've still really been in it and all of the games if you look back at the scores have only ever been there's like one or two games from each comp that's blown out to maybe more than a seven point lead yep. and that's one or two and that's like eight rounds of rugby for both competitions put together so you look at it if we're looking at games that are having scores of one or two to one to two three points in it and within like the five or six minutes for full time both teams are still sort of it could go either way so i've been really impressed that the, the, that this comp from both sides has been so competitive and been so engaging for fans so mm-hmm. the 
the New Zealand comp started and everyone was sort of blown away at just the level of how good it was. There was a little bit of teething issues, as you said, with the breakdown and some of the law interpretations. I do think the New Zealand refs went a lot harder at the ruck and the offside line than the Australians have. Um, yep. And that has had a much bigger impact in their game. I think that the the reason for, for bringing those rules in was to clean up the breakdown and, and increase the speed of the game, which it actually has in New Zealand. And I don't think it's done that for the Australian comp because <clears throat> I don't think the refs have approached it as well as they should have. Um, but in saying that, we're now round three of the Australian comp and the first week was probably a little bit touch and go. Like one of the games, was, <laughs> yep. the second game was quite boring. Um, yep. But this weekend had some really, really good rugby. Both games were really close and were really, really exciting. So I do think that the games are starting to get better and that yep. as the comp gets going, I, I don't think it's fair for people to say anymore, like, I'm not going to watch the Australian comp because it's so boring. It's like, there's no way you could say the two games this weekend were boring. They I, were so um, exciting. I was busy on Friday night, so I couldn't watch the um, Reds. Uh, Reds game, Reds fourth game live, but I watched it later that evening and I didn't have anybody tell me the score, didn't check my phone, anything like that. I came away from that game pumped. Yeah. It was such a good game. And I just enjoyed seeing um, such attacking talent, which, and, and the attacking plays were not because of massive defensive errors. It was just good quality attack. And it really seems that these, whereas the New Zealand teams seem to hit the ground running, yeah. um, the Australian teams took a couple of weeks to warm up into it, but this was a fantastic weekend of rugby. Two really, really high-quality games from both. Um, both matches were great, and yeah. I mean, do we want to jump into them or is there something? Yeah, I've just got one last thing to say. I just want to say that I think this is really showing the value in having the two competitions separated, that we Mm. don't have 50-point drummings that we we used to have when we had an Australian team playing a New Zealand side. So you'd watch um, the Rebels play the Crusaders and you just knew going into it, they're going to lose by 60. And then at halftime, they're down by 40 and you're like, yep. I'm going to turn it off now. I'm going to watch the NRL or something. This is boring. There's no way they're coming back. Like both competitions, I think, have shown that the game can survive domestically in both different nations, irrespective of each other. Which I think is. Well, I'd be careful of making that comment because I agree that these competitions are great and I really like it. But I mean, we need to be thinking longer term broadcast revenue of whether the competitions can actually be successful. And this current setup that we have is a makeshift competition based upon a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not confident that if we were to renegotiate broadcast rights for Super Rugby AU with five teams, that we're going to get enough money from that for it to actually be a sustainable. Um, And I know that's something I've said over the last few months, but I still like, it's still valid. And I just, I don't think we can have a, we, we can ignore the realities of broadcast revenue or the lack thereof. Um, although Hamish McLennan and um, uh, Rob Clark seem to be doing a pretty good thing, steadying the ship after the turmoil of about two months ago. So maybe I'm going to get proved wrong. And I kind of hope. Yeah. I, I mean, I, um, I do think yeah. as well that we are sort of, we have a better package to go to broadcasters with now. The fact that the games are accessible, they're engaging. And we've also got the club rugby to, to pair it up. Like the seven, two, well, Channel 7 that have the rights to shoot Shield have really sort of pulled out the stops this year and they've got a really good commentary team. They're doing mm-hmm. things really well. Um, and then they're access- the rugby is accessible again. And if you package that all together and you go to a broadcaster with Super Rugby AU, with club rugby around the country, that's a, that's a, really, um, that's a really 
promising product that I think a lot of yeah. broadcasters would want to engage in. One of the things I saw on Twitter, and we should probably wrap this up and get to the yep. games in a sec. Um, one of the things I saw on Twitter was Rugby Reg from Green and Gold Rugby put out this idea that for the Bledisloe games, we should actually make it like a mini festival across yeah. two, two days. And that let's say the game is on a Sunday, you actually have the test match on a Sunday. Um, but on a Saturday, you might have the um, 15s women's play. You might have the sevens men's and women's play as well for both obviously Australia and New Zealand. And they're each having their own mini Bledisloe game. And so you have three, three or so games, three or four games. On and you play Saturday, the juniors as well. Two or three. Yeah. And you have the juniors too um, on the Sunday and it all builds up and culminates in the actual Bledisloe Cup match between the men's 15s team. And so that's just a really easy way of having this excellent product that you put out across the course of two two days and a weekend and it's something that you could actually package really really well for future um, as well it doesn't have to just be this year it could be something that moves that happens on an ongoing basis moving forward i do think yeah it's a it's a great idea and it would definitely work and i do think if it is going to happen it needs to happen this year though because all yeah. of there's no conflicting timelines so when we generally play the um the bledisloe the seven circuits on so the yeah. men's and the women's yeah. would be off in different countries doing the seven circuits so this would be the year to do it and it would be all really cool to see one other quick thing that i thought about last week i didn't mention on the pod but when we were at brookvale oval it's a smaller ground it's sort of like being at um <clears throat> uh, bank west at Parramatta. it would i was just thinking it would be awesome to see a bledisloe cup test back at a suburban ground now you're probably not <laughs> going to you're not going to get as much revenue because it's not as big but the atmosphere would be crazy yeah it would be so yeah. good to really just pack it out or even if it was at Bank West, that'd be yeah. Sweet. Like Bank West would be great, but it's just yeah. good being at a at a suburban ground like Brookie because they've got the hill. So you'd be standing on the hill watching a Bledisloe Cup <laughs> test, just getting into it. That'd be so good. Well, mate, ten minutes it in, uh, should we now actually get to a game? Sure. And um, Queensland Reds actually got up over the Western Force on Friday night, thirty-one to twenty-four. It was. Such a good game, like it I said earlier. Really um, Mitch, what are a couple of things you want to speak to about this game? Well, before we dive into our uh, opinions, we'll just go quickly over our tips. So, Oh, yeah, let's do that. For this one, you said the Reds by six. I said the Reds by three. From yeah. our fans, we had um, Brian Knight, who said the Force by three, and Carlos, who said the Reds by 15. So who's the closest on that one, Mitchell? I believe I am. Excuse me. No, I no, am. What is that? 28? I said by seven. They won by six. No, you <laughs> so said I'm by out s- by one point. You said by six and they won by seven. Yes. That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. I thought yes. you said the other round. So yeah, I am yes. the closest by one point. So, yep, I'll take that one. Thank you. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. Well done. Well, Claps for you, Andrew. Claps for you. You were pretty close, mate. They um, only got the drop goal at the end in the last two minutes of the game or so. Yeah, well, um, that's a, that's so you would have won close. up until that point. <laughs> yes yeah so no this really was a great game like it really felt it felt like a test match in that it just kept changing and the scores just kept counting there was six mm-hmm. tries in the first half for this game that's yeah, crazy like, i was i was actually out when this game was on so i didn't get to catch it live but um i was out at dinner and i brought my phone out and turned it on just as it was finishing half the uh, starting half time mm. and i saw the scores and they said that's six tries it's like crazy that is so many. I did not expect that many tries to be in this first game. 40 points in the first half. Who were your standouts for this game? 
Um, I had, I was actually really pleasantly surprised by Angus Scott Young for the Reds. Um, mm -hmm. We know that the Reds have lock issues and line-out issues, so they lost Rodder and Hawkins. I don't know, they left. Um, <laughs> when the deals when the pay cuts were getting spoken about so and then angus Blythe got a shoulder injury last week so angus scott young who has not played a professional game of rugby at lock was moved into lock from number six um and then fraser mcwright was brought into seven and liam wright moved across and he did really really well um the reds lost a couple of lineouts um a one lineout so they had nine out of ten so 90 percent win ratio for their lineouts which is pretty good um but they disrupted the force significantly the force only had 71 percent success on their own lineout throw and that basically meant they couldn't get a really good attacking platform based on any turnovers um or penalties in the middle of the field they couldn't guarantee they'd actually get the ball from their own lineout and they disrupted it a number of times as well um so angus scott young was a big standout for me and i'll say one more before i pass back to you was um Lukan Salakailoto as well, so oh, yeah. the other lock. He was he was great. So he is standing up as the shoe-in for Wallaby's lock um, alongside probably Rob Simmons as the line-out general. Um, Lukan was really aggressive in defence, putting in some massive hits. Um, he was doing pretty well in attack. He didn't make any massive breaks, but he showed some really, really soft hands for the uh, Reds' oh, yeah. first try yep. to Panga Ramosa. So both him and... Um, uh, uh, who's the hookers? Uh, Hooper? Yeah, yeah, Hooper, Harry Hooper. Um, no, he's prop. No, he's um, prop. Yeah, he's prop. Anyway, good hands Hooper, from, anyway. yeah, yeah go good hands from Lucan, who then kind of passed it on to Hooper, who then passed it on to um, Pango Mosa for the try. It was fantastic. So, yeah, I was really impressed with those two. How about you? I was really impressed by the Reds' back three. Yep. So, um, Filippo du Dungunu. Dungunu. Um, yep. Uh, Chris Fayer Sautia. I always get his name. Fayer Sautia. Fayer Sautia and Jock Campbell. So I, yeah. Jock Campbell probably didn't stand out as much as the other two, but the, in general, their back line is coming together really, really well. Mm -hmm. So I think we've seen it sort of struggle over the last few weeks. Last week against the Rebels, I think it was probably just the weather. Um, and James O'Connor also didn't have the best game in distributing the ball along the back line. But this yeah. week he, he definitely did. He straightened up the attack a lot. And um, he really unleashed these these guys, and they were monstrous. They were finding holes all over the place. Hunter Pasimi as well at thirteen was just making like making hitting gaps basically every time he touched the ball. He loves that cut, that run that cuts back across the sliding defense. That, like um, the angle. that oh, left awesome. foot step as well that he's got. Yeah. Like that yeah. try that he scored early in the second half was just brilliant. How he yeah. just just steps off his left and he goes straight through the gap. So yeah, I, yeah. I do I do really think that the Reds are coming into their their form now, which is good. We've we've seen this team together for the last sort of two, probably year and a half, um, and they've struggled to get that consistency. This is the first time they've put four wins together in a row, which is good for them. Uh, One draw. They yeah. did get a draw, but that's that's what the commentator said after the game. Which wrong, probably <laughs> wrong, knowing Fox Sports. But anyway, um, yeah. So they they really are starting to to really click, and I think. Yeah. And as you, as you mentioned with the two second rowers, that was a massive gap and a hole that they needed to fill. These guys are definitely stepping up and I think they're really starting to, to show their potential as a, as a contending side. Um, I thought if we move on to the force, yeah. the force really missed Ian Pryor when he oh, went off early for his, was it shoulder or pec injury? Yeah. Um, he, he was 
last week, one of the best players, just in the control that he has on the game, but also for his kicking as well. Yep. Um, Johnny Lance took over the kicking and missed two or three like really easy ones. Kickable. Well, yeah, yeah, you'd expect some of someone of his quality to be kicking those. Um, he so Ian Pryor was subbed off for Jacob Abel, yeah. and the poor kid, poor guy. As soon as he came on, the um, it was a scrum, a red scrum, like. Uh, force half the field kind of just to the left of the midline and he was directly at fault for the try that came off the back of that scrum I mean, he wasn't able to scramble across and get the covering tackle and it was then quick hands to you've got you've got a feel for this guy like he's um yeah. he was playing shoot shield last year for gordon he's robbie yep. abel's brother younger brother yep. Um, he came over to the Western Force and was signed by them earlier this year. And he came on last week and played six or seven minutes for his debut of, mm-hmm. um, against the Waratahs. Um, and, and yeah, now, now he's come on in the 26, yeah. 20-ish minute um, and he's got to play the full game and he doesn't have the experience. And like, he did the basics okay. He, yep. His passing was all right, but he just, he didn't have the game awareness to see where the space was. His kicking was not that great like he was yeah. um he was sort of aimlessly kicking he wasn't sort he of finding the space he was kicking straight to, he was on. yeah so i do think the force definitely felt well like felt the loss of john uh, of ian Pryor a lot and that yeah. but in saying that that didn't slow them down and they still hung in and they still hung with the game and they kept pushing right up until full time yeah and I was so, really impressed with the um, with the finishes that came on as well for the um, for the Western Force. So the replacement front row definitely started sort of shifting the momentum a little bit. Greg Holmes, um, Chris Herbert, and Andrew Reddy, like these are guys yeah. that really do need to step up and make an impact when they came on, and they're definitely doing that for the Force. Yeah, and I think with the age of people, particularly like Greg Holmes, they're choosing it to have him play the right minutes. So they're keeping him on the bench and then bringing him in for like a thirty minute impact at the end where his experience and strength can really kind of make a difference at the tail end of the game. Um, the other person that stood out massively to me was Jack McGregor at fullback, okay. um, as well as obviously Byron Ralston, who got two tries as well. Um, Jack McGregor, to me, just has an incredible... He, he's really quick, so mm-hmm. he, he's got a great kicking boot, and he's a good distributor too, which I was doing a bit of reading up about him before the pod as well. So it turns out he's actually a... Um, He's a 10 and he was playing for New South Wales schoolboys, Australian schoolboys, um, played for the Rebels under 20s. Isn't he Queenslander? No, no, he went to uh, Riverview. So he's really? New South Wales GPS. Oh, yeah, far out. Fox Sports is wrong again. <laughs> Um, I know. Just, I just noticed in the commentary, they're like, oh, this is a homecoming for, for Rolston. He scored his second try and his family will be in the crowd oh, tonight. Maybe maybe that's Rolston. I'm saying Jack McGregor. Oh, McGregor. Um, Sorry. Okay, yeah. my bad. No, it's okay. That's okay. all good. So um, he actually played it, was a reserve number 10 at the Rebels behind Jack Debrasini and Reese Hodge and then didn't get any game time. So ended up moving over to the force and played with them in the NRC before now getting some time in Super Rugby, which is awesome. So it makes sense that he's a good distributor because he's actually a 10 by trade and is right. now playing 15. So yes. he's, he's interchanging well between those two positions. And I'm really excited to just see him continue to grow and develop. I'd actually like to kind of see him a bit more at 10. Um, I mean, I know Johnny Lance is there and is probably going to be nailed on starter there, but maybe later in the game, take Lance off and move. Yeah, well, I guess he's that utility back that he gives that, if if Lance does go off injured, he can step up and take that 10 spot as well, which is great to have. I mean, you've also got Kyle Godwin as well, and he can play, um, he could play fullback if needed. I know he is. Yeah, he's a bit of utility, but he's more of an outside hoe. 
he is a center, but he could play it if really yeah. needed. Now, yeah. I, I do. I, I'm really loving having the force back in the competition, and yeah, I think this goes to show why having five Super Rugby teams really is what we need. Because these mm. these guys, like the argument saying that we don't have enough talent to stretch across, if that is true, these guys should be getting done by 50 because you would say that they're club-level players. But they're yep. not. They're standing up. Like, I would say that there's probably, like, McGregor, Rolston, and, I mean, Ian Pryor as well. Those guys could potentially make the Wallabies this year. They're playing that no. well. I, they, no. They're playing that well. You, they'd at least be in a conversation if they keep the form up over the rest of the comp. Um, Is it potentially? But I mean, uh, you did. Yeah, okay. All right. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> um, who from the Ford pack has really stood out to you? I mean, I know you mentioned the um, finishes that came off. I've been really impressed with Brendan Stander, although he had a bit of a quieter game this week. He was pretty epic last week. Yep. Um, anyone for you that stood out? Yeah, not really. Um, no. I mean, not, Jeremy not, not Thrush really, has an awesome really handlebar. Can. yeah sorry i was just saying jeremy thrush's handlebar mustache is pretty epic i think that's Um, something we're going to need to talk about later in the pod as well yeah maybe next week we do a competition of the The worst facial hair the the best or worst in super rugby the interchangeably good bad in super rugby um and have will harrison high up on the list for the worst in super rugby (laughs) Uh, i mean Um, it does give him a bit of years doesn't it like he's he's 19 (laughs) or 20 and he he looks 10 so yeah (laughs) anyway before we move off this game and start talking about the Tars and Brumbies, I did just want to mention two things. Tupo yep. again played 80 minutes. I think that's an, a monster performance considering mm-hmm. how he plays and how, like, his impact. He runs it hard every single time. He's making hits all the time and he's just scrummaging really, really well. So, well done, Tupo, 80 minutes. Um, yep. Again, for the second week in a row. Other other point was James O'Connor's 79th minute field goal. What did you think of that? I thought it was a great decision. Um, I think it was intelligent because as I was watching the drives, the pick and drives that were happening there, you could just see that the um, Reds forwards were exhausted. And I wasn't confident that they were going to actually execute and get the try. So I think it was intelligent to take the points when he was confident he could make the kick because he was right in front, like he should get that kick. Um, and then with the assumption and the fair enough assumption that you're going to get the ball back and then be able to play territory after yeah. that point and back yeah. the defense. Yeah. Um, he it's, I don't think it's O'Connor's fault that they subsequently lost the ball in the kick in the kickoff yeah. or oh, soon, no. soon after that. Yeah. Um, you can't, I don't think that actually takes away from O'Connor's decision to take the drop goal. Um, it's still the right decision at the time, even if a later mistake impacts it. Um, so I, I actually thought it was a really good call. And it was just a bit of, I kind of enjoyed seeing an Australian player make a good tactical kick and like actually yeah, get a drop look, goal. Look, what I, my thoughts are. So one, first, before I j- dive too much into this, into the actual decision, I thought it was great to see the mentality of the Reds and like right up until full time that they kept attacking. They didn't sort of shut the game down and just try and grind it out, which we kind of saw in the second game by the um, the Brumbies and the Tars. Um, but we'll talk about that when we get to it. My only issue with taking the the field goal was they had a they had a penalty advantage at the time. Now yep. I know he gets guaranteed a three points, but there's probably two three minutes left on the clock, and they're mm-hmm. only they were I don't know what they were down by. They were there were three points in it. So if they they then up by six. If they turn the ball over 
So they, they've got the full-on penalty. So say they go back and the force get the ball again. They score a try, they win the game. Yeah. If you take... They're up by seven. But What was the final score? They were, they were one by seven. So okay. the penalty kick got them yeah, out. So it would, have, it would have... Um, it would have drawn it the takes, game. It would have drawn the game. Yep. So he takes the, he takes the three, they shut it out. It was, it was good that it, it came out that way for them. But at the same time, if you take the, the line out and score off the set piece, then you're up by a lot more. So... Yep. I don't know. It's pretty risky because it also could have backfired as well. We could have gone yeah. to another super rugby golden point time. And then in this, in this instance, we'd be saying, oh, why did you do that? It's kind of the same as last week. Like the, West, the, um, the Rebels were up by three and then they kicked the ball or up by seven and they yeah. just needed they to close the, the game off and they yeah. kicked the ball away and they scored off it. So it's like those 50-50 calls that were sting here saying how good James O'Connor did. But I would probably say that you could have gone for the try and I mean they were still up. So anyway, it was good. That yeah, they were- I just, I just, I just backed the Reds' defense to be able to hold on there. Um, they'd shown over the last couple of weeks that the defense is one of their strong points, and that they probably trust themselves to be able to hold out. Although I get your point that they had the penalty, so maybe they just could have wound down the clock a little bit more. Um, was it a short arm or a long arm? Full arm. Okay, cool. So yeah. they would have got the penalty kick from it. Yeah, I mean yeah. that that yeah. that's ineffectual, but I would have gone for the the corner going for the try yeah. or the scrum anyway anyway okay um, okay we so game? the game two for this round we saw and andrew and i were lucky enough to go to this game the waratahs hosted the brumbies at anz stadium on saturday night so final score for this game was a heartbreaker it was 24 23 to the brumbies the waratahs were leading the the game the whole way through up until the 78th minute when the the brumbies scored a try and won the game pretty hard pretty hard so before I throw it to you, I just want to <laughs> say I want to be a salty Waratahs fan for a moment. I'm going to talk you say, down off the ledge. Okay. And just say the Brumbies scored a try that they scored two tries actually in this game that wasn't from a lineout. So well done, you actually are a <laughs> are a decent rugby side, I guess. Yeah, you've well actually proven done. that you can do something that's not I mean, a lineout. This is their third. This is their third game in, or second game, sorry, in this Super Rugby competition, and they haven't scored any points or any tries that weren't off a mall. Yep. So they scored two of them. But anyway, um, <laughs> mate, you'd be happy if the Tars could maul as well as the Brumbies. I, I we we mauled pretty well as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the picks, the picks for this game. Um, so Ando said Brumbies by ten. I said Brumbies by five. Um, then we had our fans said so. Brian said Brumbies by 10 and Carlos said Brumbies by 12. So who gets the, you win the chocolates in this one? I you get the chocolates, mate. Oh, yeah. You get the chocolates. Although none of us were particularly close, but you're the closest of a bad bunch. I was four points off. That's close. <laughs> it's, no it's no one point off, mate. Come on. It's no one point off. <laughs> um, okay. Well, mate, we were out of the game and there's a couple of things I just want to say about the experience. Um, number one, there was hardly anybody there. If there were more than 2,000 people there, I would be amazed um, to begin with. Uh, Number two, everything was budget. Like there was hardly any kind of commentating or grandstand announcer. There was more uh, notifications coming over the PA about washing your hands and social distancing than there was about the game itself, um, which just killed any atmosphere. And it was also just there was there was no there were no mer- there was no merchandise on sale. Um, I wanted to buy a beanie because <laughs> I wanted a beanie, and, and I literally he didn't get his beanie. I wanted a beanie. I had money. I wanted to buy a beanie, and I couldn't get a body beanie. Take money. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, and I just like obviously there's money issues, but far out it was it was budget. But that being said, I really enjoyed being there, and it was a lot of fun. And it was really fun to know that anything that you yell out can be heard by everybody. So that was a bit of fun. <laughs> when um when who was it that got the yellow card? It was um Brumby's winger. Brumby's winger. Ah, uh, yeah, with uh, the dreads. I can't uh, remember. Uh, with um, the dreads. I'm having an absolute brain fart. Um, Andy Muirhead, he, um, when he got the yellow, that was right in front of us. And I just stood up and yelled out, show him the cheese. And that was before and, he gave it to him as well. Yeah, I know. It was right before he gave it to him. <laughs> and everybody around just starts laughing. And it was just fun to know that anything you yell out can be, can be heard. And we had some good guys in front of us um, from that. You know that crew in front of us, Mitch? They're from Jewel, um, mate. Uh, there were actually, maybe, but there were, you know, Good do you know point. Nick Wasiliev? He writes for Green and Gold Rugby as a producer for the pod. Oh, was um, he part of them? He, he was he was a guy on the left and all of his mates, a bunch of them were Green oh, and Gold the writers left, as well. Yeah, yeah. So there was a bunch of the those guys sitting in front of us. They were having a cracking time. And so it was just really fun. It was a good, like the people that we were around were having fun. Yeah. And so it was just a good experience. I encourage anybody, um, Super Games, to get there because um, they're, they're cheap and it's, it's just it was a fun experience now actually about the game itself what do you want to start with uh i the waratahs did very well they did a lot better than i was expecting to in this game um yeah. they were leading from the, the whole game uh actually sorry no they weren't leading the whole game the the brumbies did score first they scored a try and they missed a kick uh, so it was five nil but uh basically from then on we scored a try and we didn't let up until the final minute of the game um the set piece for the brumbies just went to poop <laughs> <laughs> I think that was mainly from James Slipper. It really so James Slipper went off in probably the twentieth yeah. minute, fifteenth, twentieth minute, um, with a HIA, and he just didn't come back. And from yeah. that point on, they just lost all momentum in the scrums and the lineouts. Now, I didn't think James Slipper was going to have that much of an impact on the lineouts, but whatever the issue was, I don't, I didn't, I haven't analyzed it too much to know whether they were overthrowing or the jumpers weren't getting up in time. The calls weren't going right. I don't know what it was, or the Waratahs were just that good at disrupting their line out. But we turned over so much of their ball. Yeah, it was it was pretty easy. And I think so Slipper went off in the fourteenth minute and okay. was replaced cool. by Scotty Seo. Yeah. Um we then proceed to get like two or three scrum penalties against the Brumbies, which is just insane. Nobody is expecting that. Um, and you're right. We just had the wood over them for basically the first like 30 minutes of that half. And it was only them scoring two quick tries in three minutes at the tail end of the first half that really changed the complexion of the game. But I wasn't, I wasn't too surprised that that happened because we have such a young and inexperienced team that I just, you're going to have these moments of, um, I'm not sure if immaturity is the right word, but not being able to close out a half is something I'm not surprised the Warriors. Yeah, look, there was there was a number of um, simple errors, either falling mm. off tackles or dropping balls that you shouldn't drop. Not yeah. putting any fingers there, but um, <laughs> if you watch <laughs> the game, Maddox. oh, yeah. you said it. I was going to say, if you watch the game, you know <laughs> who I'm talking about. Um, yeah, yeah, I just think that we let them back into the game. And we Definitely, had them. Yes. We really had them on the ropes, and the inexperience came through, and that they just took their foot off, and they let them back in. Now, I was really impressed in that sort of fifteen to twenty-five, uh, probably thirty-five minute mark. The Waratahs played some really smart rugby, so yeah. they had, were playing smart, head up 
what the commentators were calling it, heads up rugby. Now this is how good that- was James Ram's try. Sorry, exactly. Mate, just yeah. On that point, um, for anybody who hasn't seen it, do you want to describe it? Yeah. So um, this is what I'm talking about. There's something that um, Rob Penny's brought into the side and he's definitely instilling in them is that they need to be aware of the space and where it is. And in the press match, the press after function after game press match. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. He did say that that was actually James Ram who set that tryout, which wasn't um, Will Harrison, which I thought it was. So they get a full arm penalty. James Ram's on the um, on the wing and he's calling for it. And the Brumbies have just expected us to kick it out and go for the line out. So they're sort of just meandering back, not really watching. Yeah. And there's no one marking the, the touchline. So Harrison takes his quick tap and just kicks it so that it bounces once. James Ram runs through. It bounces straight to his arm and he dives over and scores. And it's absolutely brilliant because, A, they, they, were very, they took initiative on the field and called that decision, saw where the space was and went for it. They had the skills to pull it off. Um, mm-hmm. The Tars of probably a few years ago, Kurtley Beal would have kicked that straight into touch. Uh, anyway, um, and the Brumbies just, yeah, they weren't aware of it. And there was this hole there that they, they, they just scored from. So it was really good. And that was the second try that they scored within a few minutes that really yeah. sort of shifted the momentum of the game. And it was, it was really smart and it was really exciting to see them actually playing some initiative in base rugby. Yeah. I was just so stoked. We were, we were there. I, mean, I, brother, I missed it even. <laughs> I know you and I, what were we talking about? We were talking about something. I turned to you. I think Alessio had just gone off injured or something. And we were like um, watching him hobble off or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. Something was happening. I turned to talk to you and then everybody starts roaring. And then we see Ram dive. Just like dive in front of us. And we're like, what? And I was like, what? What just happened? What? Um, <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was just crazy. And so, yeah, I was really, impressed in a couple of factors number one i think rob simmons had his best game of super rugby that he's had in he was immense along with ned hannigan in the line out yeah um so i'm just getting the line out stats here the the brumbies had 14 out of 22 of their line outs so they had a success rate of 63 percent which is just it seems like we were better we it's it just seems like we were better than that though yeah but that's that's just straight they won theirs. That doesn't count yeah, I know. disruptions as well. Um, so they could still have retained the ball, but had it massive disrupted and yep. not be able to have any positive play come from it. Um, and then they also lost two of their six scrums. Like we had a hundred percent scrum success and 90% um, line out success. Like that's just, you wouldn't have expected that in the lead up to, and a large part of that credit goes to Rob Simmons and Ned Hadigan in a second row, but also the re-emergence of Tom Robinson back from injury. Yeah, in the front like row. he was immense in the front row, wasn't he? And, and sorry, I'm going to say this, but I don't want it to be too negative. We replaced our hooker and had a new as well. And I think that made a big difference. With yeah, Tom no, he Horton played really starting. well. He that was the other well. try. That was the other try that I was saying before. So his try yep. again was very smart rugby as well. Yeah, so they had a they had a mall on uh, on the five meter line. The line had the line out. Went for the mall. So they're driving, driving, driving. It gets stopped. Now Mitch Short, the halfback, picks the ball up at the the back of the mall. He actually gets pulled back into by the the Brumbies lock that's come through and grabbed him into it. Now Short, uh, sorry. Um, standing there and he sees that Mitch Short has lost, he's got the ball back. So he's like, all right, I'll take it. Just takes it off him and just darts right around the side of the mall, 
through this massive gap. I don't know how it ended up being there in scores. Now, yeah. the ability to see the fact that the halfback has been sucked into the mall and that the ball needs to be taken out was really good in the first place. And the fact that he mm-hmm. made it through that hole to score was really smart. And I, I, I really like the fact that the Waratahs are scoring points off little um, lapses of defence by the opposition because I don't think in the last few years we've had that ability to, to be game aware and, and um, heads up to know what's happening. We, in, the Waratahs sort of fell into a rhythm in the last few years of just sort of expecting someone to go to ground and the ball to be placed there. There were so many yep. times where the players coming in to clear out the ruck would kick the ball back into the ruck and turn possession over. It was so frustrating. Oh, yeah, mate, it it was, um, you know what? We've actually been going for a long time on these games. I've just looked at the time and thought, oh, yeah. wow, we've been nattering on, which is great because they're good games to talk about. But do you want to quickly jump to the end of this game? I just I wanted think to quickly say few... one thing about... Um, like flip it over and say some some good things to what the Brumbies did. So yeah, yeah, they did cool. really well to work. um to hang in there. But they kept us scoreless in the second half. So we yeah, went in half time at twenty to seventeen. So we were up by three. We only scored one penalty in the second half. Yeah. We kicked three points and they they scored a try. So they you got to give them credit. They did do well to keep us um to keep us scoreless and the and um they uh they were going backwards as well. So the second half of that of the second half, that sort of last 20 minutes was when we were getting more dominant in the lineouts and they and in the scrums as well. So they, they did very well in their defense to keep us out. I um, was super. And I think that's what the Brumbies really demonstrated uh, on Saturday night is that they are a really good quality team. So even when a, they had a bad game, B, they had a couple of really key injuries in Lalesio and yeah, Slipper Slipper. early on, but then, like, see, they had the ability to still claw back the win. And that speaks volumes about the quality of this Brumbies outfit. So even though we're both blue-eyed Waratahs fan, um, I still actually really like all the other super rugby teams and can acknowledge like the Brumbies. The Brumbies. <laughs> well, I'm uh, <laughs> less dyed in a wool than you are. Um, but I, I just really valued the fact that they are a clinical and high-quality team that can just kind of dig in and grind out a win that they probably didn't deserve. I think the Tars were the better team for the majority of the game, but the Brumbies were more experienced and able to come up with a big play at the end of the match. Oh, um, I don't know. I I don't know this, is the, this is a different, Andrew, than I was seeing next to at the 81st minute of the game on Saturday night. Oh, oh trust me. If those <laughs> like, chairs could have been ripped off, exactly. I would have been throwing them around. Yeah, but you I have slamming things of, um, around. <laughs> I'm the benefit of hindsight now, my friend. Um, Now, I actually want to talk about the final few minutes. So the last kind of 10 minutes of the game featured a few Waratahs turnovers, um, a a couple of times where we disrupted the line and kicked the ball deep back down into the Brumbies territory and were back to hold them out, which... I don't know, kind of made a bit of sense uh, because that offence had been pretty strong and has improved over the last couple of weeks. But I'm not sure. Obviously, in retrospect, maybe it's not the greatest decision. But what did you think about the Waratahs tactic of giving the Brumbies back possession, um, even though it was down at their end of the field? Yeah, I think that was what really was our undoing, is that we had built this momentum by stealing a line out or getting a scrum penalty and the fact that we turned the ball over so easily and without any sort of real uh, purpose was just yeah. stupid. Like we weren't kicking to 
to touch. We weren't putting it into space. We were kicking it straight down a winger or the fullback's um, throat straight to them where they, and then they ran it. So we were up and we only had minutes left. All they needed to do was hold on to it. And even if they were in their, in their own half, just keep, we were, had a, a big enough lead that we still could have won. Yeah. So Isaac finds um, the replacement scrum half made a little dart um, off the back of, what was it, a rock or something like that, uh, and got in between Lockie Swinton and somebody else to score a try. There were some people who were complaining about um, obstruction because there was a Brumbies player on the ground injured, but I am of the opinion. Yeah, no, that was ineffectual. Defenders. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't yeah. make any... Um, Swinton was just exhausted at that point in the game and just couldn't get across to a... Um, well, actually, a if you go back and look at it, Swinton got taken out by the Waratahs defender who went for the... So the Waratahs... They kind defenders, of clashed, they came around. Yeah, he's like, time. he's yeah, okay. dived at him and he's spun out of the tackle. And then he's oh, okay. just yep. taken Swinton's legs out. So that yep. was what happened there. Okay. Now, what happened next was um, Quenzel gets the conversion. And so the Waratahs obviously have the kick off the restart of play and kick it back down to the Brumbies. What the Brumbies proceed to do, which is a smart move, is to just pick and drive it for the next minute, minute and a half, but until the time runs out and then kick it into touch. Now, I am of the opinion, having watched it back, and watching it live and just getting so frustrated <laughs> was that the Brumbies, what they would do is they would set up, they'd have a three-man forward pod, the central forward would get the ball, the other two forwards would latch on, and then every single time they're sealing it off yeah. as soon as a player hits the ground. Yeah. And my, my thought is, if you do that in the middle of the field in the 20th, 30th, 40th, 50th, 60th, yeah, 60th minute, that is a penalty for sealing off because you are not allowing the Waratahs players to contest the ball and actually try. But for some reason, Angus Gardner was letting it go, the probably five or six pick and drives they had in that sequence of play. Um, And Hooper was filthy. Hooper reckons he got a turnover in like the second last um, ruck before they kicked it out. And he rope a bullet. Is that what? Is that what happened? Yeah. Yeah, okay. so he stormed off the field at the end and just went straight into the change rooms. He wasn't speaking to anybody. Is that, I was going to say um, that. I was going to say there was something funny about Hooper after the game because of that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that, I just wanted to bring that up because it was so frustrating to see that there's just no chance at all for a turnover because they're, they're just denying the opportunity by sealing off the ruck. Yeah, no, look, I agree. I'm going to put my Waratahs fans hat on here and say something that's probably going to be a bit controversial. So Ooh. I don't know if you watched the, the post-match press conference, but Rob Penny wasn't happy. He, um, okay, he no, I haven't say, watched it yet. Yeah, he did, he did say this. Like, I don't understand how we won three scrum penalties and, and we, we clearly showed dominance in the scrum. And then for the rest of the game, we weren't re- awarded, rewarded with that dominance. Yep. And we started to get penalties blown against us for things that we were actually winning, that we were getting penalties for in the first half. Now, yeah. also he said that, again, they lost the penalty count 13 to 10. So it wasn't yeah. massive, but we still did lose it. This now puts the Waratahs as the most penalized team in the Australian competition. Mm-hmm. And he's just saying, I don't think like we there's calls that we're getting pinged for that are ineffectual to the, to the actual play. So we're getting penalized for players that are sort of rolling the wrong way or aren't getting out of the breakdown. So they're getting caught in and getting penalized for it. They're rolling the wrong way. They're not rolling east to west. They're rolling north to south. We're getting pinned yep. for it. 
But the Brumbies were doing the exact same thing and they weren't getting pinged for it. It was the same thing yeah. that happened in round one as well against the Reds. Mm. I think, I don't know what it is, but it seems like the rug, the Australian rugby referees have this picture of the Waratahs as being soppy around the breakdown and um, not strong in the set piece. Yeah. And we actually showed against reason, the Brumbies that that yeah, was exactly. not the case. Yeah. There was one or two um, scrum penalties that we even said sitting in the stands. We've like we've gone down there, like sorry, we they've gone down on our feed, yet we're getting penalised for it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I think that there's a picture that the referees have of the Waratahs as having these inadequacies in these areas, and they're quick to blow the penalty. It's yeah, and I mean like a bit of a uh, a conspiracy because it's starting to um, affect the outcome of games. Yeah, look, I think Gardner has his tendency, um, well, at least it showed on the weekend's match, where he'll give successive penalties in a row and march a team down a field. Um, it happened a couple of times in the second half for the Brumbies, where we were down in the Brumbies' half, down, down deep in the Brumbies' half, and then we got pinged and then pinged again and then pinged again. And I just don't, like, at the time, I was incredulous that this was happening because I just thought they were harsh but I need to go back and actually have a proper look at it and see if they were deserved or not. Yeah. Um, look, I do. Anyway, I do. I think... Um. I do need. I do want to just say about that. Um. I do think whenever we do play and we're ref by Angus Gardner, we do always come off on the wrong side of the penalty count, and that's because he is a New South Wales-based referee, and I think he tries to overplay his hand to show that he's not being biased. It's happened. Right. It happened last year. And it happened the year before as well. That there was penalties and things that he was blowing against us that were quite harsh, and that he wasn't blowing against the opposition. And I think that's because he wants. He wants. He doesn't want people to come out and say, "Well, you're a New South Wales guy. You're refing yep. the Waratahs, and you're blowing all these penalties." So, anyway, mm. I think anyway, that's it. I anything think that's else it. to say um, about this? No, I just really enjoy going out to the game, um, and I look forward to heading out to as many as I can before the season finishes up. Yeah, I mean, I, one last thing I want to say is it's good to see Rob Simmons fired up for once. Yeah, he, it was a great. Bit of, he actually had a bit of emotion at the end of the game. So if you go back and watch the replay, as soon as the final whistle's blown, so as you said, Michael Hooper storms off up the um off the shoot, yeah. chatting to himself in in, in whatever he's yeah. saying. Um, Hooper uh, Simmons takes his scrum cap off and just slams it on the sideline. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. you see it, and then just like nah. <laughs> refuses to shake any Brumby's hands for like a good five minutes. Until he calms down and then gets back. But even it, yeah. even in the press conference after the game, which is probably a good 40 minutes since the game's... He's just sitting there and he's just like, no, not happy. No, we should have won that. Uh, we need yeah. to learn to win it. I don't know how, but we just need to learn to win it. So yeah. it's yeah. good to see they've got the emotion. Well, let's head on into the New Zealand games. Otherwise, we'll talk about Aussie rugby all night. And other people want to hear about a little bit of the New Zealand wrap-up too. Cool. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, and to finish off the pod, we're going to have a quick review of the Super Rugby Aotearoa games. Now, the first match of the weekend was the Hurricanes versus the Blues. The Blues had last week lost their first match, or they had their first loss of the season against the Satyrs, and now they have gone down two games in a row, losing 29-27, the Hurricane. Um, the Sunday match was Chiefs versus the Highlanders, and your heart has to go out to the Chiefs who lost in the over, like the game had finished it, the, the buzzer had sounded and CEO Tompkinson crashes over for the Highlanders and Mitch Hunt converts to give the Highlanders 33, Chiefs 31. So um, Mitch, I have watched both of the KO minis of these games. Did you get to catch either of these? Yeah, so I watched um, 
about 55 minutes of the um, Hurricanes Chiefs game. Uh, sorry, Highlanders Chiefs game. And um, I turned it off thinking that it was pretty done and dusted. And then I saw the result <laughs> afterwards and I couldn't believe it. So if, yeah, you, haven't, so if you haven't watched the go. game out there, um, at one point the Highlanders were down like 24 nil. Um, yeah, 22nd 20, minute, 24 nil. Yeah, 24 nil. So they, and they were just succumbing to penalties and the Chiefs were just on a roll. And so it just looked like the momentum was all one way. They were just look, dropping ball left, right and center. They just weren't getting any momentum. And it, it really did look like the game was over by the sort of 50th minute. Um, and, and I don't know what happened. I, I sort of turned it off and I think I saw them score one try. And I remember thinking to myself like, oh, this is a nice consolation try. This won't go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> How wrong I was. Yeah. Never yeah. right off the New Zealand team. But, um, <laughs> yeah, the, so, they yeah. pile on 30 points, 34 points in like, 25 minutes oh it was crazy so you would have seen um the 29th minute try in the first half to the mckaylee two uh who basically got this really good try after just repeated sustained rut pressure um sam kane gets a yellow card straight after that so that took to 24 7 in the 29th minute but then the really the you were telling me that you stopped watching at what the 55th minute something like that yeah you missed the best try of the I know, game by 30 minutes. seconds after you turned it off. <laughs> I know. Um, so for anybody, I won't, I won't explain it or describe it. Go back and watch Aaron yeah. Smith's try in the 55th minute, 55th or 56th minute of the game. It is one of the best tries that I've seen in either the Super Rugby Aotearoa or the Aussie Comp. It was exceptional. Um, and really what that points out to me, uh, not just from this play, but having watched it, um, the, the kind of full highlights and I want to go back and watch the full game now is how good Aaron Smith is. Yeah, We've said it heaps of times in the we past. We said it every week. We every said week. it every and week. because he deserves to be mentioned every single week. Like he his, sparked his comeback. He really oh, did. The Highlanders would not have won if they, like they don't win this game if they don't have, and I don't know, like they would be the worst team in New Zealand comp if they didn't have Aaron Smith in my yeah. opinion. No, no, yeah, um, definitely. He's, he is, heart of everything he's everywhere he's always he's in everything they do as well like he's yep. always got some sort of involvement but i think Mate. we've got to we've got to say if we, the chiefs really like oh, wow so heartbreaking, so heartbreaking. i, I mean we know what it's like well. it's like we we <laughs> as waratahs fans we can feel what the chiefs fans are going through but at least yep. we can say that we didn't blow a 24 nil lead yeah yeah it Far was out. Uh, i don't yeah. even know and what happened so base yeah look I need to watch the full game. I probably can't comment on it having watched just the like 30 minute highlights package of yep. it. Um, I want to watch it again, but why, why don't we just kind of leave it there and say, Chiefs, we feel really sorry for you. Um, Aaron Smith, you're like a demigod of rugby players. And uh, why don't we that move That kind of, like, quickly? honestly, that leaves it there for the Chiefs. Their season's over now. They're not going to get another win. Yep. This was the bottom Correct. of the table clash. If they were yep. going to beat someone, it was going to have to be the, the Highlanders and, They've lost it again. So, unfortunately, I don't see them getting any more victories. So, it's going to be an yep. undefeated run for... Um, for What's his Davis. name? No, his name. The coach. His name. Oh, Warren, Warren Gatlin. Gatlin. Sorry, Warren Gatlin. How, I can't a, a believe I forgot his name. run. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that what I said? You said an undefeated run. So, it's a direct... Oh, answer. sorry. No, yeah. <laughs> he hasn't won a game yet in Super Rugby. Crazy. Yeah, cr- and he's like one of the world's best coaches. And yeah. Well, apparently... Um, no, he definitely is, without a shadow of a doubt. You can't claim that him stepping into a team that he has no input on the selection uh, on the um, look. I've just got to say, 
in in that sort of in that sort of um, thought process, I'm just going to quickly say this. I think yeah. that goes to show how good the Crusaders are. So I was, yeah, sure. I was talking yeah. to my wife about this last night after the game as well, after we dropped you off, Ando. But mm. I do think that the if you go back and look at the results of Super Rugby, it's the Crusaders that have won the most and that have been in the most finals. I do yeah. think that the Crusaders lift the level of a, of New Zealand rugby to a point that puts them on a pedestal. If you take yeah. the Crusaders out. All the other teams are as competitive as the uh, New Zealand, as the Australian and South African teams. You reckon? Oh, yeah, the, cool. the blue, the Bulls are actually the only team that have won three Super Rugby comps. Every other New Zealand Off team, is, regardless of how they won it, they've won three. Crusaders <laughs> yeah. have won ten, and the um, the Highlanders that have won one, the Chiefs have won one. Uh, the Chiefs have won twice. Sorry, the Hurricanes have yeah, won Chiefs two. Yeah, Chiefs have won two. Yeah. Yeah. So if you take yeah, out okay. the Crusaders, they lift the game. But I, what I want to say, what I was trying to say, is that you bring in the world's best coach in Warren Gatland to a to a New Zealand setup, and it doesn't change anything. If anything, it goes backwards. So I think you need to. That shows how good the Crusaders setup is. Yeah, and I think we'll see what Warren Gatland brings to the table next season. Yeah, when he's had well, a chance we to won't. make some changes to the player squad. Well, we oh won't. yeah, because he's got he's coaching the Lions. And that was something I was going to quickly say as well. Oh, I know we course. need to try and wrap this up because we're going on for a while. But yeah. do you think that the Chiefs will go, go coach the Lions and then find somewhere else to play coach? We, we don't need you anymore. If you go, for, you you go through this yeah. competition undefeated, you go off and coach the Lions next year, have a year off. They've already got someone else coming to coach them for next year. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to come back in 2022 to coach them properly. Yeah. The fact that he's had a go at it and he hasn't got one victory would you not think that you just, okay, we're just going to, we're going to terminate things now. Yeah. Who knows? Know. Anyway, we'll see what happens. All right. That's a talking point for a later time. Um, so the other game has been, of the round yeah, so was the Hurricanes up, getting up 29, 27 over the Blues. Um, the one point I wanted to quickly make about this was Lau Mape is just a beast of a human being. <laughs> and um, he has this scary ability to combine pace sorry, uh, raw brute strength and aggression with agility and pace. Like, it's just insane. He he burned Bowden Barrett on the outside. And Bowden Barrett, like, isn't the greatest defender in the world. But he's fast. But he's he's fast. And he burned him easily on the outside. Like, that's just incredible. And then that, and then the wing of the (laughs) fullback comes across to, no, sorry, Otero Black, number 10, Uh, comes across to tackle him and he just, like, Steamrolls over like, the top of him. No, <laughs> and then that happens later as well to Bowden Barrett again. So in the second half, um, Laomarpe just absolutely bumps Bowden Barrett, um, who just flies off him, and he doesn't even get a proper hand on him because um, Laomarpe yeah. just destroys him. So Did this um, look. Yeah, this was this was a very exciting game. I would say this one was sort of on par with the Reds and Force game, if not a little bit yeah. better, in that it really it felt like a test match. Like it was try, 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 try. And both yeah. teams were just going hard at it from whistle to whistle. It's crazy. And it really ended up being, unfortunately, the the Barrett show. And yeah. and Barrett uh, Geordie Barrett was the one that came out on top because he didn't miss anything and Bowden missed two shots, which would have been victorious for the blues. I think um what I noticed about the point of difference between New Zealand and Australian teams is the speed of play from the yeah. scrum half. Yeah. And 
the attacking play, so the attacking quality was pretty good in some of the Australian games as well. But the point of difference is the speed of play from the base of the ruck. Yeah. Um, like we've mentioned before, the New Zealand scrum halves, particularly Aaron Smith, but New Zealand scrum halves just, they don't hover over the back okay, of the ruck no, waiting for well. players to get in positions. Yeah. They get there, they pick it up, they pass it straight away. And yeah, well, players are already they, in position, ready to go. And they also make the decision on the fly. Like they get to the breakdown, they pick the ball up and they go. So if they get there and they realize that the, this, the play is not set, they'll run it. Whereas yep. the Australian halfbacks will get to the ball, they'll leave it at the back, they'll look up, they'll make the decision, then they'll go. And at that point, yep. we've lost any advantage because the back the um, defensive line set. Well, mate, we really need to move on. So why don't we hit up? I just wanted to quickly. I just want to quickly say one thing. Oh, uh, come on, Rick. Yeah, um, I was really disappointed by the fans at this game. Um, oh, really? Every, this was Bowden Barrett's return to Wellington as as a former. And they booed him every time. Yeah. Every single yeah. time he touched the ball, they booed him. Now he scored a great try uh, early in the first half, and I and mm-hmm. they they loudly booed him then. And I thought, oh yeah, you know that's just a bit of jest. Like you've scored a great try. Oh, boo, we've lost you. Ha ha ha. And then next time he touched the ball, they booed him. Like it is so disrespectful. Are and you think, saying that New Zealand fans lack class? Yeah, I think that's what I'm saying. It's like we had the Quade Cooper incident yes. in the 2011 World Cup, the whole booing situation. Yes, yeah. that was bad. It's come out and been said by everyone that that was bad. But this is just worse. Like Bowden Barrett is one of the best test players for New Zealand. Regardless of who he's playing Super Rugby for, he does not deserve to be booed by, the play- by any New Zealand supporter. The fact that you think that you're allowed to boo him because he doesn't play for your team is so arrogant. Yeah, it's pretty, knows, it's like, pretty harsh. And the fact that it's not just one bloke up the back booing and going, oh, you suck, boo. It's like audibly picked up in a giant stadium in Wellington yeah. on the field by the mics. Like it's, that's really disrespectful and it really ticked me off watching that. I was like, he doesn't yeah. deserve that. It makes you guys look so petty. Get over yourselves. Anyway, that's it. <laughs> Good rant. Okay, we have to move on now. So let's hit up the predictions. Um, now, the game one next week is Waratahs versus Rebels. Yep. Um, I am hoping for a Waratahs win. I don't think it will be a win because no game so far. Yep. So I'm going to go by seven again, Waratahs. Seven. seven. How about you? Yep. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be tight. I do think the Waratahs will get up. They need to get up now. They've been so close so many times. I don't think this Rebels team is sort of doing anything. So I'm going to say Tars 3. Okay, so you're Tars by 3. Now, moving on to Force versus Brumbies. That's on Saturday night. Um, we're not entirely sure where it's being played. I saw on a website that it's potentially getting played at Leichhardt Oak. Oh, but how good when is I that? Tried to follow, when I tried to follow the link, um, it did. Oh. So I'm not 100%. Yeah, well, I know that they're being based in Newcastle. Or in the Hunter yeah, Valley, sorry. Yeah. So the closest yeah. to that would be Newcastle. Uh, I don't know yeah. what's happening with the Newcastle Knights, but anyway. So anyway. force home game that's not at home. So who are you picking for it, mate? Uh, Brumbies. Bye. Brumbies by seven. Yeah, I was going to go Brumbies by ten. Ten. Cool. cool. All right, now and if we go over the quickly... ditch. So in New Zealand, the first game of the round sees the Crusaders host the Hurricanes in Christchurch. Who are you going for? Uh, Saders, obviously. Um, by? And by, I don't know, six maybe? I think it could be pretty close. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah. I think this Crusaders team uh, is just too far ahead of anyone else in this comp at the moment. Um, so I'm going to say Crusaders by 14. Oh, big one. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then Highlanders versus Blues. I'm not sure if Aaron Smith is going to be able to pull them out of the fire two weeks in a row. Yeah. Um, so I'm calling the Blues by about eight. 
Eight, cool. Yeah, I don't think this Highlanders team has it. To um, like they've only been able to get up against the Chiefs, and it sort of seems like some kind of bogey thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with the Blues, and I think they'll do it by ten. Well, mate, do you want to wrap it up for the pod? Yeah, cool. So thanks for joining us this week, everybody. That's another episode done for Peak and Drive Rugby Podcast. We're episode twenty, so twenty episodes in, which is great for season one, and we've still got lots of rugby to talk about, lots to happen for the rest of this year. So. Yeah, keep um keep listening, keep giving us your your picks. We'd love to to put them up and 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 talk about them. Um and yeah, just uh we will catch you all next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks everybody. Catch you later. See ya. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week.